You can go ahead, if you would, and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. We will be quite a while before we get there, but if you'd like to be turning there, that would be wonderful. I'm going to talk tonight about a freedom that God gave us. That is the freedom of choice. We're going to talk about choices. Before I left on vacation several weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I did some lessons on the responses to the Word of God that people choose to make. You know, when it comes to choices, it's strange how you can put two people in the same situation. And they will choose to view it and to respond completely differently. You might recall some years ago, Brooks and Dunn had a song out, Born and Raised in Black and White. Who's heard it? Nobody? Two or three. Born and Raised in Black and White. It's a story of two brothers who grew up in the Texas sun, as it were. And one played with books and one played with guns, raised by the same parents. One of them turned into a murderer. One of them turned into a preacher. You know, that story is finds its application in real life, not just in the songs, as it were. You can have two people grow up in a non-Christian family. Two siblings turn out completely different. One can turn out to be a complete outlaw, disassociate from the family, and the other one can turn out to be one of the most upstanding people that you ever knew. And, you know, you see that... Also, in Christian families sometimes, you can have two or three kids raised, same set of parents, go into the same Bible camp, go into the same church, go into the same youth rallies, and those kids turn out completely different. We see it in Scripture, too. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The two boys were raised in the father's house. And yet one chose to leave and squander his father's goods, while the other one made the choice not to do that. Choices. From people in the same situation can make totally different, can choose to make totally different responses to that situation. We know from the parable of the sower that all four of those different responses were responses to the same seed, right? The seed was the Word of God. The seed was constant. The seed was the same. It was the same thing. And yet, amongst the different reactions that people chose to make, some of those would hear the Word, but they wouldn't understand it because they had chosen to harden their hearts against it. That was a choice they had made in the context of that story in Matthew chapter 13. Then you'd have those that would receive that exact same Word, They'd receive it with joy, but, but when tribulation or persecution or discomfort came up because of the word, they would choose to abandon it. Then you had another group that would have the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that would choke out the word. And then that fourth section, of course, you'd have those people who would hear and understand and obey from the heart that word of God that was preached to them, no matter the cost or consequences to themselves. Because like Peter, they realized those were the words of eternal life and that nothing on earth compared. Same seed, same sower, same situation. Four different choices of response. 
four different levels of consequences. If we study throughout the sermons that were preached in the New Testament, whether we're talking about Jesus' sermons or the Apostle Paul's sermons, almost always, at the very least, the vast majority of the time, you will see a varied response. You will see some people that will choose to take the word to heart, and they'll, they'll go forward and they'll live it, they'll accept it. And then you'll see this other group that fights it, that rebels against it, that rejects it. But it's the same word and the same sermon. And you know, sadly, today, sometimes we see that same variance when the Word of God is taught and preached, no matter what the topic is. People have a choice, don't we? We all do. And people today, some may take a sermon they hear. You can have people all hear the same sermon, all hear the same Bible class, all hear the same teaching, right straight out of the Word of God, all read the same text. You see the same four things that you see with the parable of the sower. As people choose what they're going to do with it. Some may harden their hearts, blow it off, go their way without so much as a second thought and keep it on living the way they always have. Others may give some serious consideration, even give it an honest try for a short time when they hear something preached. But then... When it becomes inconvenient, they'll seek to find a way to justify giving it up and just going back to the way they've always done things. Other people will take that same exact teaching from the Word of God and they'll have the best of intentions and I'm going to do this. But then the world creeps in and, and tears them away from the best of intentions. But you'll have a few that will take the sermons and the lessons to heart They'll make the changes that the Lord requires and never look back on that highway to heaven that we talked about this morning. These of that fourth category are those like Peter. You see, Peter understood that whether it was Jesus himself or the Apostle Paul who corrected him in Galatians 2 verses 11 and following, or whether it was Peter himself or the rest of the apostles and prophets and preachers who, who challenged and corrected and rebuked others with the word of God, what Peter understood was that no matter who said it, every time the word of God was proclaimed, it was still the word of God. Is that right? Every time the truth of the word of God was preached and people were challenged or corrected or rebuked with it, it was just as vital and just as essential as if God himself had personally thundered it down from heaven instead of simply rerouting it through the apostles or prophets or preachers. Is that right? Word of God is the word of God. Word of God has all authority. Is that right? It doesn't matter who preaches it. It doesn't matter who teaches it. The word of God is right. And again, it's important to understand, it doesn't matter who's teaching the Bible class, I've just gone for two weeks, it doesn't matter who's teaching the Bible class, it doesn't matter who's preaching the sermons, if they are preaching the truth of the Word of God, it has just as much authority as if God Himself was thundering it from the mountaintops, as long as what they're preaching is the Word of God. When a policeman comes up to your door and knocks and says, you know, open up in the name of the law, what that means is he has the full authority of the American justice system behind him. And when anybody teaches the Word of God or reads it to you or, or preaches it or teaches it, if they're teaching what the Word of God says, they have the full authority of God 
behind them as they teach his word. And as I say, there are varied responses to the same exact seeds and words from the living God himself that are still seen as different people respond differently and choose to respond differently to God's word today. Several years ago, out of a love and concern, a passion and a zeal for lost souls, for souls that, as far as I knew, they had not obeyed the gospel for the right reason, I preached a couple of sermons that were pretty hard-hitting. There were varied responses to those gospel sermons on baptism. Some chose to do just what they did in Bible times. They chose to reject the truth of the Word of God and walk away from it. While in some other cases other things happened, there was another response like that fourth one where somebody accepted it, obeyed it, and is still faithful to this day. You see these varied responses all the time. You see, the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell, catch this, people miss this so much. Let me start again. The difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell is not because of any difference in God's love for different people, but is due completely to different people's different choices in their responses to that same love in words of God. Does that make sense? God loves everybody the same. Is that right? God so loved who? The world. That he did what? That he gave his only begotten son. That who? Anybody, whosoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Peter told us that. God wants everybody there. The difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell is not going to be because God did not offer salvation to this group, so they're going to hell. It's not going to be because God loved different people differently. God loves us all enough to send his son. Is that right? So the difference between eternity in heaven and hell is not going to be based on God having different levels of love for different people. That's not the way it works. The difference between spending eternity in heaven and eternity in hell is going to be based on the different choices that different people make regarding receiving the love of God. We determine our own eternal destination. You know, it's like so often when you go by some of these church buildings, you'll see these signs, God loves you. And I always want to go, duh. Yeah, God loves you. We all know God loves us, right? We're all good with that. But the question isn't, does God love us? We all know he does. The question is, do we love God enough to obey and keep his commandments? That's what is questionable. Tonight, I want to look at the different responses, the different choices of responses that people chose to make to the same Word of God. And we'll see how important and vital these choices are. Luke chapter 4, as I said earlier, beginning at verse 16. It says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's not too challenging, is it? He's not really, nah, you know. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? You see, everything was wonderful as long as he was just giving them generalities, as long as he was just saying things that really didn't bother them too much. Everything was great. And they just chose to just laud him, you know, local boy done good. You know, he's come back, look, oh, he's, he's doing great. Jesus said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you. Now these were the people that had just praised him and said how gracious he was preaching. Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. He said, um, looking back at your history, you know, you had these issues going on, but God didn't send his prophets to you for help. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, rose up, thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him off a cliff. <laughs> they heard something they didn't want to hear, and they chose to do what? Was what Jesus said true? Was it right? Was it biblical? Was it fact? Yes. Jesus didn't lie. And all he did was simply tell them, challenge them with their own history about the kind of people they were. What did they choose to do with that? They chose to take him out and try to throw him off a cliff. Now I want you to contrast that with this next text. Somebody else is going to be told, you ain't right. And I want you to watch what happens. I want you to contrast the response of Luke 4 with the response we see in 2 Samuel 12. Please turn to 2 Samuel 12. Choices. How will we as individuals respond when the truth of the Word of God is taught? When the all-authoritative truth of the Word of God is presented? 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 we know the story. David has committed adultery and had Bathsheba's husband killed. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There are two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his own bosom. It was like a daughter to him. The traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. 
But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man that's done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David is irate that anybody in his kingdom would do such a horrible, atrocious, terrible, thieving, conniving thing. David is irate. Verse 7, Nathan said, you did it. Nathan said to David, that man, you're him. Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, and he's going to explain it. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping, gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I'd have given you much more. God said, you're the one that had everything. You, you had everything, and if, if everything wasn't enough, I'd have found more to give you. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. And you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I'll take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he'll lie with your wives in the sight of this son. You did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel, before the son. Now at this point, if David had been anything like that group in Luke 4, David would have said, Okay, boys, take Nathan apart. Take his head off. I want him in pieces about this big. I'm not putting up with this. What did David do instead? Had Nathan told him the truth? Had Nathan pointed out David's own sin? Just the way Jesus had pointed out the sin of those in the synagogue in Luke 4. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. But look at the different response here. David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Sometimes we wonder why David is called a man after God's own heart, after some of the horrible things that David did. I'll tell you why. Because when David was confronted with the wrong that he had done, he was willing to admit that he had done that wrong. He was willing to repent. He wasn't about to kill the messenger who told him the truth, but instead he took the gospel truth for the gospel truth, and he said, I'm guilty. I did it. Read Psalm 51 at some point in time. and Look at how serious David was about repenting. Two different situations, but two different responses to the same message when somebody says, you haven't done this thing right in the sight of God. Luke 4, in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12. You know, the same is true when it comes to that phrase, that little phrase that we hear so often or we see so often in the scriptures, they were cut to the heart. Do you know that little phrase, cut to the heart? Do you know when you read that? We can look at two different instances where people responded totally differently to that same exact thing being cut to the heart. Let's look at those for a moment. Turn to me to Acts chapter 6, would you please? We have a choice every time the Word of God is read, taught, preached, proclaimed, presented, whether written or oral, we have a choice. And sometimes when we hear the Word of God... It cuts us to the heart. Brethren, look. 
if we were all living 100% right with God, and we could do that sinlessly forever and ever, we wouldn't need Jesus. Is that right? If we could do everything absolutely right and we'd never sinned, we wouldn't need Jesus. But here's the thing. Once we have sinned and we start living for ourselves... We need to get back on track with God, and we're not doing everything right. And so we need God's Word to tell us what things we're doing wrong, so that we can repent, and we need to be challenged to, to live more righteously. But we can't do that without hearing about our sin, and sometimes it cuts us to the heart. Let's look at these two different responses. Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freemen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. In other words, he was giving them the word of God, and they couldn't take it apart and dissect it and find fault with it. He was giving them the word of God, but there's no way that they could that they could dissect it and prove it wrong because God's word is always right. So, they did what people always do. They went after the messenger Stephen. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Ah, they can't fight the word of God he brings, so they're going after him. They stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. The high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. He goes on through this lengthy chapter 7 to explain to them from their history what he's talking about. He tells them the truth. He tells them factual, biblical, historical truth. Look with me in verse 51 of chapter 7. In his conclusion he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now I want you to notice what he does here. He said, you have resisted God from day one. But you know what? That's your heritage. <laughs> pretty, pretty cool, huh? Not only do you, but your, your fathers did the same thing. Your fathers weren't right with God. You ain't either. Question. Was what Stephen said true? Was it true or not? I didn't ask if it was nice. I asked if it was true. Yes, it was true. He'd given, read chapter 7. He says then in verse 52, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. He said, You murdered Christ. You who have received the law by the direction of angels have not kept it. He said, You murdered Christ. You rejected all God's prophets that told you about his coming, and then you murdered him. You did it. You. What was their response? Notice verse 54. They were cut to the heart. That got them. That cut them to the heart. What did they do? Verse 59. They stoned him to death. They were taught the truth. Cut them to the heart. And they chose to respond to the truth that cut them to the heart with a very ungodly action. Now, Contrast that 
to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you've got a group of people who were told basically the same message. They are told in Acts chapter 2, if you look with me in verses 22 through 23, Peter tells them in Acts 2, 22 and 3, that they had taken and crucified the Son of God. Same message. You, Peter says, you crucified the Son of God. Peter goes on to preach his message. Then in verse 36 he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. You did this. You. But God's raised him up and he's made him both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, what happened? They were cut to the heart. Now when the truth of the word of God is explained and people are cut to the heart, they have to make a choice. Choice is up to them. The word of God is not up for dispute. It says what it says, it means what it means, it's from God, it has authority. When people are cut to the heart, they have a choice. How they're going to respond. Everybody does. You have to choose what you're going to do with that. With that pain. It's painful sometimes. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, when it pierces you and it cuts, it hurts. We all know that. In Acts chapter 7, when they were cut to the heart by the truth, they responded, they chose a very angry, ungodly response. But in this passage, it says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What did they do? They said, we've got to get right with God. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what are we going to do? What, 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 brethren, what are we going to do? They were cut to the... See, they made the choice that they were going to accept God's word. It didn't matter if it was Peter preaching it or one of the other apostles. It was still the word of God. And they come to understand that by the authority of the word of God, by the plan of God, everything that Peter had said was right, and they had crucified the Son of God. Now, now they had the choice in Acts 2 what they could have done, the same thing they did in Acts 7, is they stoned Peter. But you see, they chose to respond differently when they were cut to the heart. They said, what are we going to do? And Peter tells them, he said, this is what you do. You need to repent. You need to turn your life around. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Promises for you and all your children, for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call to himself and with me, to himself. And with many other words, he pleaded with them. You see, in his zeal, in his passion, in his love for God, and his love for souls, he testified and he begged them, he exhorted them, said, saying, be saved. You've you got to get saved, people. You see the two different responses when you cut to the heart? And the choice is always yours. Choice is always mine. Choice is always ours. What we're going to do when God's truth is presented. So the question for each of us tonight is this. And I'm not just talking about baptism, okay? The question is, what is our response? And I include myself because I'm a human being too and I hear the word of God taught by others and I hear it taught by myself and I, I'm just, I'm in the same boat you are, okay? What is our response? What do we choose to do when we hear the all-authoritative word of the living God preached and taught. Especially when it points out or challenges our own personal sin of preference. What do we choose to do with it? 
Do we choose to blow it off and go our way? Do we choose to say, well, that's just the Bible class teachers or the preachers or, or, you know, the guy that writes the papers out here on table. That's just his opinion. Even though he's quoted book, chapter, and verse, and even though we know it's in context and he's got it right, when we hear that, what do we do? Do we say, ah, oh, that's, just, that's just the preacher's opinion. That's just the teacher's opinion. What do we do when we hear the word of the living God? Do we do that? You know, sometimes... We think it's okay to kind of point out, you know, other people's sin, but when a, a challenge gets a little too close to home, then the guy making the challenge is meddling. <laughs> or do we receive the word of God with joy? Seek to keep it up as long as it's comfortable, convenient, and doesn't cost us too much? Is that the response we choose to make? Or do we choose... When we can see black and white, we hear black and white truth from God's word. Do we choose like David, the man after God's own heart, who made a lot of mistakes? But do we choose like David and Peter? Remember that sermon a few weeks back? And James and John and Paul and so many of the others. Do we choose instead to understand that the word of God is the all authoritative word of God, no matter who's preaching it? And do we, are we willing to say, when confronted with it, I've sinned, I need, I need to get right. This ain't right. And do we make up our minds, like these people in Acts chapter 2, to say, what are we going to do to fix this? What are we going to do to get right with God? Do we decide to do whatever it takes to repent and get and stay right with God. That is the choice, or those are the choices, that God has always given, and God always will give. We need to decide to be the... God's not going to force any of us to do anything. We need to choose what we are going to do each time we hear the truth presented. Accept it. Try it. Reject it outright. Or say, that's what my God said, and that's what I'm going to do, because I love God. Choice is ours. The lesson is yours. The choice is yours. If you're here tonight and you've never responded to the gospel by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, choice is yours. I can encourage, push, do whatever, but you know what? The ultimate choice is up to you. I can't live your life for you, and I cannot make your decisions for you. If you're somebody who's already done that, but you know that in some areas that the Word of God says there's some changes that you need to make, but you've never bothered to make them, but you feel as though it's time to do that and you'd like the prayers of the church to help, we'd love to help. But remember this. The difference between heaven and hell is not that God loves some people more and some people less. The difference between heaven and hell, because God loves the entire world the same, he loves all of us and wants us all to come to him, is how we choose to respond to that love or not. The choice is yours. If you have to make a choice this night, if you need to make a choice this night, please come to the front as we stand and sing, and I will guarantee you this, whether you come forward or not, you've made a choice.